Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Laura Leslie, WRL Capital Bureau Chief. And I'm Brian Anderson, WRL State Government Reporter. And it, well, you know, it's kind of been a quiet week around the year, although not so much tonight. Right now, as we speak, our colleague uh, Travis Vane is down in, uh, in Wilmington, where there's a big Trump rally going on. And it's, it sounds like there's going to be basically a who's who of every Republican in this state getting on stage with them. Yeah, you got Mark Robinson, you got Ted Budd. I, it's just a rollout of all the endorsements this close to the election. And we'll have to wait and see whether a Trump presence here will help or hinder the performance of Republicans, particularly with these unaffiliated voters. But it's a primary. You certainly want to keep your base energized. It's certainly that's certainly true. I did. I did notice that the Associated Press had a good story this week, though, about the questions about whether or not, you know, hewing closely to Trump and and, and might be a difficulty for Bud just because he's got to win a statewide race, you know, and, and hopefully win over some moderate. He's hoping to win over some moderates. Um, I just wonder whether or not that's sort of counterproductive. Yeah, it seems like there's a this is really kind of an, an unprecedented uh, midterm election year where there's just, you know, all the tides would seem to indicate good Republican showing. You have inflation, you have the economy, yet, you know, this abortion issue has really been a maybe in many ways a, a political lifeline for for Democrats in a otherwise tough year. And you also have the influence of of Trump potentially animating a lot of Democrats more than it might be animating new Republicans. So in the meantime, um, we also have um, well, a couple of folks in the state today. Marjorie Taylor Greene is appearing at an event here in Wake County. It was, there was a Wake GOP gala, right? And then um, I think Lauren Boebert is appearing at, um, at an event in Charlotte tonight. So this is sort of, we're saying sort of the center of the MAGA universe, if you'll forgive the, the term. Um, everybody's here. Everybody's here. Swing state, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a North Carolina tie here I'm going to try and link. Lauren Boebert uh, has drawn the ire of the former Fire Madison Cawthorn people when they had gotten uh, the Fire Madison Cawthorn pack uh, had had succeeded in their efforts. They transitioned to Lauren Boebert. So I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. A little fun fact there. There's there's a North Carolina tie to everything. <laughs> there is actually. I mean, literally, there is, I think. Um, anyway, so otherwise this week, not a whole lot going on, at least not downtown. At the legislature, uh, we had a skeleton session this week, uh, no action happening. Uh, Senator Berger, I gather, told reporters that he's he's not even sure that they're going to get Medicaid done in December. And this is after late last week, after we shot the wrap, um, late last week, there um, the healthcare association representing hospitals sort of dropped an offer late afternoon on Friday that would represent some of the things that the Senate has been asking for in terms of some policy reforms, some some CON reform, certificate of need, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Senator Berger said uh, this week he didn't think that was a serious offer um, and said he wasn't going to negotiate in the media. And it didn't sound like that went over real well. Yeah, I mean, the question that I'm left with is, will is this a narrow Overton window? Will it pass in January if you have more Republican state lawmakers elected. If you have a Senate supermajority, does that thin your margins in the Senate, in the House? If you have uh, more Republican members or even more further right Republican members elected, what does that do to this issue? So it's it's an it's it's a big open question of whether now is the moment. It certainly is, and you know, I, and that's one of the reasons I think that um, that Speaker Moore has been pushing for December, and at least this week he still sounded pretty optimistic that that could happen in December. 
So we'll have to see whether or not they actually do come back or, as you say, whether or not the makeup of the next legislature turns out to be more or less favorable to Medicaid expansion, if they, in fact, want it as much as they say they do. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> in the meantime, we learned this week that there is no um, no intention, at least at the moment, to uh, offer any tax relief for student loan relief. So, you know, normally in North Carolina, well, North Carolina law, when you get something for not what, well, for example, if you're in a foreclosure and you cut a deal and the mortgage company agrees to sort of write off $30,000, let's say, of the price of your house, right? You would have to pay taxes on that $30,000 because that's considered income, right? Even if you never really had it. Well, believe it or not, the same thing holds true for student loan relief. So people who get $10,000 or $20,000 are still going to get a tax bill for that from the state, even though they're not from the federal government. But this is one of those issues on which we are not coupled. We're what's known as a decoupled state. So um, unfortunate, well, let's just say some unpleasant surprises probably going to await folks uh, who eventually get that relief. And once the, this $10,000 uh, debt forgiveness for some people can be 20,000 for Pell Grants, but right. uh, once this came out, Treasurer Falwell was very open. He's a Republican state treasurer and said, hey, this is a, a problem potentially in, in the law, you might wanna address it. Uh, Governor Cooper has urged state lawmakers to act with with some immediacy to this, uh, but here we are, and tax season uh, is in April. But maybe there will be a resolution between now and then. We'll see. Then it does not sound like it this week, anyway. Certainly not soon. <laughs> so anyway, so our big story this week, undoubtedly, was your Robinson profile. So uh, you spent a lot of time with uh, with Lieutenant Governor Robinson, um, and talk a little bit about what that was like. So it wasn't the, the the best ideal start to a profile. I interviewed him March 23rd, uh, uh, and this was around 10 a.m. I remember in the Goldsboro parking lot at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. And minutes before I'm set to talk with him, we hit send on a story that publishes about the 1989 abortion he paid for for his then girlfriend and now wife. Hmm. So uh, I'm in Goldsboro. The story just, just goes up and he knows I'm going to ask about it. Uh, we're all sort of in this weird, uncomfortable spot where we're going to be in the same van for about four hours in, in the same day. Uh, and, you know, he was very tight, firm throughout much of the day. But over time, he he eased up a little bit, talk, talking about his disdain for Brunswick stew and a bunch of other <laughs> things. Uh, but by the end of it, I, I talked to him and he said, you know, this is something I've wanted to talk about Uh for years, but there's a privacy to it, meaning he's got to respect his wife's privacy. Sure. Uh, so over time, we we get to talking with him more, uh, and particularly in July, uh, I tour his hometown in Greensboro. I see his beloved hideaway spot at Mike's Trains in Thomasville. He likes small locomotives. They're actually three hundred and twenty dollars, which is ludicrous to me, but everyone's got to have their hobby, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I have then, fish tanks. Those are not cheap either. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, I interview him toward the end of July in this big policy sit down and it goes for two and a half straight hours nonstop. And Robinson is frustrated going into this interview because he didn't have time for his workout that was supposed to be allotted uh, for the day. And adding on top of that, a WRAL interview, what worse start to a morning could one possibly have? <laughs> Uh, but by the end of it, I mean, he he loosened up. He talked about policy and uh, the things he talked about, ending abortion, 
defining marriage between one man and one woman. These are the most important highlights from this profile that people should take in mind. And yes, he has a largely powerless role right now as lieutenant governor, but if he becomes acting governor or if he's actually full-time governor in 2024, these things are really gonna start to matter. Yeah, they will. Um, so it's a very interesting piece. If you haven't read it, you definitely should go back and have a look at it. Um, also, yeah, you had a great story this week about his um, non-existent relationship with the governor. I will say that's not all that unusual. I mean, Cooper really didn't have a relationship with Forrest either. Um, and you know, this all goes back to the, believe it or not, to the Democrats. Back in the 1980s, um, the, the, um, the, the Lieutenant Governor, Vice Governor, whatever, Lieutenant Governor used to have more power. And when it was won by a Republican in the late 80s, the Democrats in the Senate basically stripped the power from that office. So that's so that really is sort of the genesis of the modern day lieutenant governor, which is basically his, his or her only job is to be the president of the Senate, certainly offers a lot of time to run, you know, uh, to make a lot of appearances statewide and take up, you know, take up, you know, policy issues that are going to be your, you know, your sort of bailiwick. And that's what most lieutenant governors have done with it. But um, yeah, the one the relationship between these two seems to be more even more hostile than than usually usually it's just non-existent but it's not openly hostile i mean there's the appearance of cordiality between cooper and forrest at times you could you could you could say it was a contentious dynamic at times i think they might have appeared at at least some things together occasionally but right. with with him and robinson there ain't none of that happening <laughs> it's no. just it's it's but the the why it matters here i think is because uh, you have Robinson and the head of the Republican Party, who I talked to, calling for state lawmakers to act. I have not heard that before. And what they're saying is, hey, if you're the governor, you better disclose when you're leaving the state and the acting governor and the lieutenant governor becomes acting governor. And Cooper doesn't do that currently. Robinson found out he was acting governor just by looking at an internet article that happened to pop up for him when Cooper was at the final four in New Orleans. Like Robinson didn't know he's the acting governor. And so I asked Robinson, who's sort of said in the past, if he, if he were acting governor, he'd do something to drive the liberals crazy. And I asked, is that really your position? And, you know, he was like, no, I, just, I was joking. That was in jest. And, you know, doing something would really be beneath this office. And then like a minute later into the same interview with me, he would talked about, you know, well, well it depends it depends. on the time and occasion and, yeah. and you know, we'll we'll look at it and and consider it, but we we do so transparently when we take action. So it's it's an interesting dynamic, but I wouldn't rule out the possibility of Republican lawmakers trying to strip power from a governor as as or require more disclosure from a governor. That's, there's certainly lots of precedent for that in the past decade with GOP lawmakers. Plenty, plenty, plenty. Absolutely. And I mean, as long as I've been, I've, I've covered the state for since 2004, and I've never known an acting governor to to do anything, you know, I mean, and, and of course, our governors go out of state all the time, right? They go to the National Governors, Governors Association, they go on vacation, heaven forbid, um, you know, they they do travel. So not known that to happen. But you know what, there's a first time for everything, right? It's happened in Idaho this recently. So and yep. Robinson is unpredictable in many ways. So you, you might not want to put it past him to take action. Um, in the meantime, I'm working on a new project this week um, and well, in the next couple of weeks. Um, and um, basically, it's sort of an attempt to show folks behind the scenes in elections 
like really how things work, right? Because part of the problem in 2020, when we had all these folks who believed that the election had been stolen, is that there's there's not a lot of transparency about how things happen. Like when you put your ballot into the mail, do you know what happens to it? Do you know when it gets counted or where they store it or anything like that? You know, things like that. So I'm working on this series called NC Votes 101 to sort of like walk folks through different parts of the process and let them see. So I have a story today about logic and accuracy testing and it yes that's just about as exciting as you'd expect i'm trying to stay awake as you describe it (laughs) i know but it's interesting because they have to check all those machines right somebody has to test all those machines before they can ever be used in an election to make sure that they're calculating correctly and working correctly and accepting the ballots and it's an it's it's a very elaborate process and 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 it takes weeks and they're in the middle of doing it right now 159,000 ballots tested just in wake county just to go through this. I mean, it is a huge undertaking. So anyway, so you're going to get to see that tonight on the news. And if you didn't. This is what people need to see right now. They need to have faith in their elections and understand the process. And yeah, what better way than to actually show them. See, it's on video. You can see it for yourself. Yeah, we were there in the room, in the room where it was happening. Sorry about the joke. Um, You know, getting video of it. And they even let me put in one of the test ballots, you know. So um, yeah, so it's a real McCoy. Anyway, so we're looking for ideas for other topics. So if there are things that you know of that you thought thought yourself, gosh, I've always wondered, or I never thought about, um, send them to me because we'll try to get them answered. And, you know, I'm hoping to go to some other boards of elections in some other counties as well um, and talk to some of their folks about what it's really like to run elections. You know, they're not the faceless uh, bureaucrats and it's not a black box system. At least it's not as far as we're concerned. And nccapital.com, obviously, the place to keep monitoring. The place that. to keep up with that. I think that's about it for this week. How about you? Uh, I said last week with Travis that I would recommend people monitor NC Capital over the weekend. I would reiterate that as well. And I would also encourage people to maybe check out for something over the weekend. Uh, maybe Sunday morning might be a good time to check nccapital.com for folks. Okay. We'll be looking for it. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone, for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.